You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. Everybody else, we're continuing our study in the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through chapter 2, verse 12. Let us pray as we prepare to hear from God's word together. Gracious God, we come to you and we praise you, the maker of heaven and earth, that you have spoken to us, that you have not left us without a witness to your Son. And so, Lord, as we come on this cold Sunday morning in the middle of January, we thank you that we can gather. Thank you that as we gather, you promise to be with us. And thank you that you have given us your spirit. As we come together, we think of those who can't be with us this morning, those who are just home due to the cold and it's hard for them to get out, or those who are sick. Lord, we think of those who are hurting from among us. We pray for Marvella and certainly pray for her healing. And we pray as well for Judy Warsham. Lord, we would ask for her healing and that you'd give doctors wisdom and caring for them. And also for those who are similarly going through difficult times from our body. And Lord, help us to be the body of Christ to them today and throughout the week and the weeks ahead. Father, we pray for our own church as a body as we continue to look for who you would have as our next worship director. We pray you would guide us, but thank you for Angel who was leading us this morning and thank you for Liz and Dominic who have been helping to to lead as well. Father, we pray that You would continue to guide us as a church also as we look for who you will have for our next uh, pastor of families and youth. Thank you for Pastor Hunter and how he has been filling in. Thank you for the job he has been doing and how he's been faithfully teaching the children, or, or excuse me, our youth. And thank you for America and Lord that you brought her just at the end of last year to be our Bethel Kids Director. Father, as our kids are down there today, we pray that you would speak to them as we pray that you would speak to us. Thank you for your word, God. Help us to hear it and receive it in faith and to act on what you say. Help us to indeed stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. Lord, help us not to be those who just stand amazed, but those who trust him love him and who follow him faithfully. Trust this work to you and pray that you would be applying your word to our hearts today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, my son and I got to watch the Cleveland Browns for the final time this year. If you're 
not aware they lost, and so they are out of the playoffs. But it was good to get to watch them being from Ohio. I still root for my hometown team as I was growing up. Certainly root for the Bears when they're on as well. But it was great to get to watch a team who I cheer for. I heard somewhere that somebody said that football is 22 men on a field who are in desperate need of a rest, being watched by 50,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. Then you add on top of that the countless spectators at home of which we were a couple. Now obviously we would never dream of actually being in the game. We couldn't have done anything to help the Browns do any better. No coaches coming to knock at my door or owner coming to call me to play for the team. They wouldn't. I have nothing to give. As we come to Mark chapter 1 verse 16, Jesus the Son of God has been proclaiming the good news, the best news ever, that he is the king, the promised king, the son of God, who has come to usher in God's saving reign, to save us from our sins and reconcile us to God. But to our surprise, Jesus begins his ministry by calling four fishermen to be his disciples and to join him on mission. Now let me be clear, these men are not some uneducated bumpkins as people have thought. They're probably quite young, some of them perhaps even the youngest in their teenage years. But as Jesus calls them, they are not the religious elite. They haven't graduated from Jerusalem Seminary. They're just ordinary men whom Jesus is going to transform and use for his purposes. Like them, Jesus, the Son of God, calls us to follow him. Calls you to follow him. And as you do, Jesus then will take care of the rest, as we'll see. So our main idea this morning is we're going to be walking through Mark 1, 16 through chapter 2, verse 12. It's for you to answer Jesus' call to follow him. Because Jesus alone has authority over demons and disease. Jesus alone has authority to cleanse you and to forgive you of your sins. Look with me at Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through, or excuse me, 16 to 20 to begin. We read, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, 
and followed him. I see that Jesus calls you, like these fishermen, to follow him. Jesus begins his ministry by calling these men to follow him because they're to be his witnesses. And so they have to be with him from the beginning so that they can tell others about Jesus. Notice these four fishermen. There's Simon, who Jesus later nicknames Peter. And his brother Andrew and James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee. The Mark doesn't tell us, according to Luke chapter 5, they were actually business partners with one another. But this isn't the first time they've encountered Jesus. According to John 1, they've had other encounters. They've probably heard Jesus preach, so they know who he is. But when Jesus calls, they're ready to answer. But Jesus does something quite unusual here. See, first century rabbis didn't normally go out and find and call their disciples. Rather, the disciples would choose their rabbi. But Jesus chooses his own who are going to be his witnesses. Look with me very closely at verse 17. Read, Jesus said to them, follow me or come after me. That is his call to us as well, to follow him. The notice Jesus promised there follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus doesn't ask you to change yourself. Jesus doesn't tell you to clean up your act and then come follow me. No, Jesus says, you come follow me and I'll take care of that. I'll transform you. I'll make you into who I want you to be. I'll make you into one of my witnesses. Jesus, notice, uses a very appropriate metaphor for These fishermen, he says, I will make you fishers of men. If Jesus were talking to farmers, he would have said something like, I will make you to become harvesters of souls. What he's saying is, I'm going to use you. You're going to be part of my team of disciple makers. And that's what he calls us to as well. Jesus calls you, follow me, and I will do the work to make you into who I want you to be, to make disciples as well. Notice the appropriate response by these first disciples. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Again, verse 20, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. Followed him. Now, following Jesus as a disciple isn't some second step of salvation for those who want to be, you know, varsity level Christians or something. That's a bunch of nonsense. This is Jesus' call to repentant faith, which we saw back in verse 15. Where Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Salvation has come among you. Repent and believe the gospel. 
And yet we do need to contextualize what Jesus says here. First century disciples would literally have to leave their livelihoods to follow around a rabbi. Now, Peter and Andrew and James and John would later have their boats that they'd be able to use. But they did have to take up a new vocation, so to speak. They're to become disciple makers. Jesus was calling them to prioritize him, to put him first in their life. They had to leave their Original vocation. They had to leave their family to follow Jesus. And it's the same for us. Jesus is calling us to prioritize him above all else. That's what he's calling us to, to follow him. Jesus isn't content to just be some kind of religious part that you add on to your life. No, Jesus is to take first place. Jesus says in Mark 8, verses 34 and 35, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. See, Jesus isn't content for you to be a fan. Jesus isn't content for you to be a spectator Jesus is calling you to follow him, to be on his team, so to speak. I like how R.C. Sproul says it. He says, God doesn't want me to play with religion. Doesn't want me to dabble in church. God wants me, body and soul. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is calling all of us to be you know, in vocational ministry, it doesn't mean that Jesus is calling us all to be international missionaries. Now, maybe some of you he is calling to that. Maybe he is calling you to vocational ministry. Maybe he is calling you to international missions. But whether he does or not, Jesus is calling you to give him first place, to surrender to him in your relationships, in your work with your family, with your friends, in school and in sports and in everything that you do. Now this sort of radical heart change that Jesus calls for is something that none of us can produce in ourselves. This is the work of the Spirit in us. As John the Baptist had said back in verse 8, it's Jesus who baptizes us, who immerses us in the Spirit. It's Jesus who gives us new hearts. It's Jesus alone who can cause us to be born again so that we love and desire Jesus more than anything in this world. With such a radical call, with such an absolute call, you would wonder, why would anybody want to follow Jesus? Mark shows us why in the rest of the chapter. It's because only Jesus is who he is. Only Jesus has the sort of authority that he has. Only Jesus can save us. Mark shows us why to follow Jesus, starting in verses 21 and 22. Shows us that Jesus teaches with authority. 
We read, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. Now, Capernaum is sort of Jesus' base of operations for a while. It was on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It had about 10,000 people as the estimated population in the first century. And if you go there, you'll see that there are some well-preserved ruins of a 4th century synagogue. Well, that synagogue was, ba- was built right on top of the 1st century synagogue, which is made of black basalt stone, and so they can see the different layers there. And when Jesus entered this synagogue, as was a regular practice in the first century, being a traveling teacher, the leaders of the synagogue allowed him to read the scriptures, allowed him to teach. You see, he does so as well in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. But when Jesus teaches, notice what Mark says, the people who are listening, they're amazed. They're astonished at his teaching. Because he's not teaching them like their usual religious teachers. The scribes in those days would have you know, maybe taught you their opinion on a matter. They may have given you the views of a few well-known rabbis or something sort of like those books that were popular in the early 2000s where you'd have the three views on this, the four views on that, but they don't tell you this is the right view. Well, Jesus doesn't teach like that. Jesus teaches them as one with authority because, of course, he's the original author. He's teaching them with authority because he is the authority on the scriptures. And he's calling them, commanding them, as we saw back in verse 15, to repent and believe the gospel. Calling for a response. So we see Jesus teaches with authority. We also see then in verses 23 to 28, Jesus casts out demons with authority as well. We read, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit, convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. The Unclean spirit here seems to be naming Jesus, identifying him because he's trying to gain some sort of authority over Jesus, but Jesus will have none of it. Notice Jesus actually has absolute authority over the demons. He rebukes this demon with his almighty word. All that the demon can do is obey. You know, there's a contrast here. 
You have the Holy One of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God confronting an unclean, unholy spirit. And I wonder how many of you have ever watched, you know, a, a Hollywood exorcism movie. I don't want to embarrass you. You might be saying, I don't want to let anybody know that I watched those or something. But if you've ever watched one of those movies, what you would expect in this instant is that there would be some kind of long drawn out conflict between Jesus and, and this demon. You'd expect, you know, maybe this guy's head to turn around or something. That there'd be the, this cold wind blowing, the candles in the synagogue flicker, Jesus maybe using some incantations. You know, at least the demon saying it in some sort, sort of unnatural, blood-curdling voice, no to Jesus. Well, that doesn't happen. Instead, just with a word. The demon just convulses the man and comes out screaming in anguish. Why? Because Jesus' word has absolute authority and power, and the demons recognize the voice of their creator and judge. And everybody there, notice again, is amazed. They're astonished. And yet, though Jesus' fame starts to spread, everybody's just a bunch of spectators still. Maybe even fans of Jesus. But they haven't yet come to follow him. You know, amazement and awe can and ought to lead us to faith. To trust Jesus. To follow him. But awe in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean that we've been saved. Mark then shows us, not only does Jesus have authority over demons, Jesus heals diseases with authority in verses 29 to 34. Mark writes, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We've probably all taken you know, antibiotics or you know, an antiviral medication at some point. I remember when I was young, I got strep throat for a few years, like multiple times a year. And so I remember them giving me that pink antibiotic and you have to take it for 10 or 14 days or whatever. You know, I remember my mom, you know, having to come in at night and wake me up, give me the antibiotic. I'd go back to bed. It works quickly, but it didn't work immediately. I mean, think of even aspirin. Think, think of Tylenol. Think of Aleve. They work pretty quickly, right? But they're not instantaneous. What we see with Jesus is he heals diseases. Is he does so immediately. He just takes Peter's mother-in-law by her hand, lifts her up. The fever immediately leaves her, and she's so well that she just begins serving them, showing that she's healed. 
And it's sundown while Jesus is at Peter's house. The city's coming to him and they're waiting till sundown because, it's the, because it was the Sabbath. They had to wait until after the Sabbath. But they're all showing up with anybody who's sick, anyone who's oppressed by a demon, and Jesus is healing them. And he's refusing to let the demons identify him, probably because he recognizes this would be a hindrance to his mission to save. Jesus' mission is his highest priority, as we see in the next verses. Verses 35 through 39, we see that Jesus preaches with authority. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It's tempting to read verse 35 here and to say, well, Jesus got up early to pray, so in the same way, you need to get up early in the morning and you need to pray and spend time with God alone Let me be clear, that's actually not an appropriate application here. Jesus is out in a desolate place. And that that word is the same word that's used earlier for the word that's translated wilderness or desert in verses 2 through 15. I think Mark's making a connection for us here. Just as Jesus relied on his father... While he's out in the wilderness, so Jesus lives all of his life in reliance on his Father. That's why he's going out to pray. Jesus is the Son of God with all authority, and yet he lives in submission to his Father and his Father's plans for him. He's on his Father's mission to save, and so Jesus isn't just doing whatever he wants to do. And so when Peter comes to him and says to him, hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Why don't we go back to Capernaum? We've got these crowds there. You know, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, that's great. Let's go start a mega church in Capernaum. And I'm going to be the popular, the most popular man in all of Galilee. Instead, Jesus says, let's go on to the other towns. They need to hear the good news as well. That's why I came out, or that's why I came, because I have come to proclaim this good news of salvation to all. As we see how Jesus is interacting with Peter here, and by the way, Peter and the other apostles had to learn this time and time again, and we do too. We all have to answer the question, why did Jesus come? Did he just come to give you what you want? Are you thinking that Jesus just came to give you health, wealth, prosperity, to help you get good grades, to help you do better at sports? Do you recognize Jesus came for more? You think Jesus came to end suffering in your life? Because if you think that, following Jesus is going to be very disappointing because as you follow Jesus, suffering actually increases because now you find 
There's opposition. See, Jesus came on a mission to seek and to save the lost. His healings, whether it be from demons or from disease, as he does this, what it is is it's a demonstration of his authority. He heals to, as a, a proof that his message is true, that in him and in his work, God's saving reign has come among us. He heals to give us a demonstration, a foretaste of the fullness of the kingdom that is to come when he returns. And so like Jesus, we are to be on mission. If we're following Jesus, we too exist for a purpose. We exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus. To grow mature disciples for the glory of God. It's not about us doing what we want that's comfortable. It's not about us doing what's popular or trendy or what draws the largest crowds. And this is why it's so important that like Jesus... We remain in communion with our Father. This is where studying the Bible, this is where prayer becomes so important because this is how we remain on mission by relying on God. So we see Jesus preaching with authority. Then we see in verses 40 through 45 that his work begins to take more of a spiritual bent toward it when we see that Jesus makes people clean. With authority. Look at verses 40 through 45. We're told that a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. It was out in desolate places. People were coming to him from every quarter. Now when we talk about leprosy, we tend to think of Hansen's disease, which is where your nerves begin to die and so you start to lose fingers and toes until finally the disease kills you. But leprosy in those days could have been any number of skin diseases, skin ailments. And yet whatever it may have been, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, Leprosy made you unclean. What that means is you were unacceptable in God's presence. You couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't worship God. You were a social outcast. Everywhere you went, you had to announce unclean, unclean. Because if anybody was to come by you and perhaps even accidentally touch you, they likewise would be made unclean. Not only that, priests couldn't make you clean. The priest could only either pronounce you clean or unclean. So think of the 
plight of this man. Think of how awful his life must have been. He would have lived in shame, been a social outcast as he walked around. He wouldn't have been in the temple now since he had been declared unclean. And so he comes to Jesus because he knows that Jesus has the power. Jesus has the ability to make him clean. And yet, he doubts. He doubts that Jesus is willing to do so because the man knows according to the Old Testament, if Jesus were to come close, if Jesus were to have any contact with him, he would become unclean as well. Notice Jesus' response in verse 41. Some manuscripts say that Jesus was angry, perhaps due to the effects of sin on his creation, but I think the better reading here is, as the English Standard Version has, Jesus is moved with pity, compassion for this man. Just as in Matthew 9, verse 36, Jesus looks out over the crowds and sees that they are harassed and that they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus has compassion. So we see here the heart of Jesus, the heart of God toward his creatures. God is holy and just, and yet he is also a God merciful and gracious. So Jesus, in his compassion, does the unthinkable. This man who had never, who who for however long he had been declared unclean, this man hadn't felt the touch of another human being, and yet Jesus, the sinless, spotless, pure Son of God, comes and lays his hand on him. Jesus didn't have to do that. With a word, Jesus could have just said, I will be clean. But he not only says that, he touches the man out of his compassion, out of his love for him. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, immediately this man is made whole. Immediately this man's leprosy leaves him and think about it. He is again able to be among people. He is again acceptable to God. He is able to again go into the temple and worship God. And Jesus charges him, all right, go do what Moses said. Show yourself to the priests as a witness to them so that they will pronounce you clean But don't tell anybody else because, of course, the news is going to spread. Jesus isn't going to be able to go anywhere. And yet this is such good news for this man that he can't keep quiet. Literally, what Mark says is he goes out and he proclaims the word about Jesus everywhere. You know, maybe this morning, like this man, you've come in here and you are just filled with shame. Maybe there's something that you have done or something that's been done to you or maybe it's just something about you about which you are ashamed and you recognize perhaps that this is all due to sin in some way. Why? Because due to the fall, we're all broken. But in our sin, we are unacceptable to God. Unclean. 
defiled, impure, incapable of approaching the holy God. Maybe you're wondering this morning, can I ever be made whole? Can I ever be healed all the way to my core so that I don't have to live in this shame so that I don't have to live in defilement. Yes, Jesus could heal me, but is he willing? There's an old hymn that says, Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to heal you, full of pity, love, and power. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. Come to Jesus and he will make you acceptable. You too then can go out and proclaim the good news. That brings us then to chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Where we see the reason why Jesus can make clean is because Jesus can deal with the deeper problem. With our sin. Jesus forgives sin with authority as we see Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening... They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school like I do, you'd remember this story. They're, you know, tearing away at the uh, thatched roof there and lowering the man before Jesus. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. It certainly is a wonder that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Why does Jesus say this? Certainly the religious leaders wondered that. Like his father who knows the thoughts of our hearts, Jesus knows what these religious leaders are thinking. And and yet think of the irony of it. What they're thinking is actually right. Nobody but God can forgive sin. But that's the very point. Jesus, the Son of Man, is none other than God come in the flesh. And so he has authority to forgive sins and proves it by healing the man. 
The question then becomes, how can Jesus, how can God forgive sins? You've probably talked with somebody, maybe you've said it yourself, well, God will forgive my sins, it doesn't matter what I do, that's his job to forgive. The problem is, that's not God's job. You know, the Bible actually has no problem with God judging people and sending them to hell. Because that's what we deserve for our sins. But the Bible has to go to great lengths to explain how it is that a holy God can forgive sinners. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, the Apostle Paul explains that we are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That means is Jesus bore the wrath of God in our place as a sacrifice for us. We're told this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the only way for God to forgive our sins is for Jesus, the sinless Son of God, to go to the cross and pay for them in his own flesh. The only way that you can be forgiven is to receive it as a gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus. You know, the crowds were right. They never had seen anything like this before. Because they had never seen anyone like this before. And neither have we. Here is the Son of God, the King of Kings, with all authority, who rather than using His authority to get things His way, instead stoops down to serve us, whatever we're going through. Here is the holy God who in compassion reaches out and touches those who are unclean and by his word cleanses us. Here is the holy judge who steps off his bench, takes off his robes, and comes and sits in the seat of the defendant to take our place to take the punishment that we deserve. As we sang, this is amazing grace. For those who follow Jesus, we don't need to live in fear or in shame or in guilt. As we follow Jesus day by day in faith, like Simon Peter, we are saying, Lord, to whom else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Today, if you haven't, won't you answer the call of Jesus to follow him? Because he alone has authority over demons and disease. He alone has the authority to cleanse and the authority to forgive. Let's pray. Father, thank you. As we read the word, we are witnesses to who Jesus is. Pray that by your eternal spirit, 
Bless us to respond in faith to what we hear. Whether it be day by day in our lives, living, recognizing Jesus has all authority. or Whether it be today for the first time. Pray that you would lead us to respond with hearts full of gratitude and trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.